This morning, as we get into chapter 16 of Acts, we are in a very interesting passage. And it's going to be a very fascinating uh, wandering through, so we're definitely going to pray before we reveal where we're going this morning. Actually, it's on the screen. Have you ever said, the devil made me do it? I just have to do something that's really, really bothersome to me. There's just a door wide open over here with a light that just really distracts me. That was not a, an illustration I set up. I'm telling you the truth. That really distracts me. But I'm going to use it. You know I will. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for the gift of your scripture. Thank you for the gift of what you have given to us through your Holy Spirit, the recording of truth, the recording of how you work, how all of this is happening in, through, and around us because of redemption. Lord, that we can focus this morning not so much on that which seeks to destroy us, but to understand that it is very real. And it is always in conflict against you. So if we are with you, it is in conflict against us. Therefore, all the more reason, Father, for us to, as Paul says to the church in Rome in chapter 8 of that great epistle, Lord, where he says that we need to walk in the Spirit, not walk in the flesh. That this needs to be a daily surrendering to you, that we might abide in you so that the enemy might not abide with us. We trust you in all these things. Amen. I'm going to ask a question which always gets me in trouble. How many of you are too hot in here? Raise your hand if it's too hot. Usually it's the ladies. And it is again this morning. Now you may think that's sexist. I'm just telling you the reality of who raised their hands. Uh, so if you start to pass out, we have a rule here. If anybody but our deacons or myself touch the thermostats, we have prayed a curse upon you. You might actually drop dead like Ananias and Sapphira. But uh, if you're fanning yourself, that's a subliminal message to me to then tell our deacons, hey, we might want to bring down the heat a little bit, okay? So uh, guys, you are welcome to fan yourselves as well. Uh, I have a spot on my brand new sweater. Went out and did some replacement theory with... Uh, with uh, my wardrobe yesterday, some of my stuff's kind of wearing out, and so I'm at Macy's yesterday. Once every five years, I get some, an article of clothing. So I got this sweater, and I love it. It's so comfy. And was sitting with my wife last night, and somehow inadvertently, I think she threw something on my chest that was food. I'm sure it wasn't me. I'm, I'm sure it was her, and I just didn't notice. And so I don't know if you know, I don't know which side it is. Is it right here? You see that stain? There's, there's a stain. Yes, most of you, the ladies, once again, the ladies see the stain. And so how many of you would choose to wear this sweater? It is so comfortable. It's my newest article of clothing. How many of you would choose to wear this sweater even though it has a stain on it? It's a good place for a name tag. Yes, the guys are all raising their hands and, and a couple gals. We are so gender specific this morning. Well, let's move on. Let's get to the passage this morning. We're talking about how the devil made us do it. The devil made us do it. What, what is that, Pastor? Now, I encourage you to take out your sermon notes and take out a pen 
and right because we are going to be flying through a very challenging subject today. All right, Acts 16, 16 through 24. Let's look at what the passage, what the story is telling us today. We're moving through Acts at about the same pace that Paul did. And so it's kind of exciting to see how that early church relates to us. Is the God of the early church the same God that we get to interact with? Right? Do the things that, that happened today, were they happening then and vice versa? Well, we have a fascinating story today. We have our missionary team of Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke and maybe some others, and they've, they've left what is more understood in Asia Minor, and God has directed them to Greece. They're in a completely new area, and they're having to minister in a completely new and different way. And they've seen some incredible results with a gal named Lydia. Any, anybody wearing purple today? Carrie, is that purple? So Carrie, Lydia might have been the originator of your sweater. Who knows? But Lydia has come to know the Lord, and there's great rejoicing, and this team is still working in the city of Philippi. You ready? Here we go. Verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, which is the river, that's where we were last week, there's no place within the city like a synagogue for them to preach or to <coughs> actually share the Word of God. And something that I need to make you aware of, it's actually illegal. I'm making this point now because it doesn't come out in this text. We brought it out as a historical fact last week. It was illegal to preach religion inside the city walls. You'll see why that's important in a minute. As we're going to the place of prayer, which was the river, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out. By the way, what do you see there? Paul's not talking in the first person. It's Luke. So more affirmation, Luke is kind of including himself in the story now, saying, she followed Paul and us. I was there. <coughs> First person account. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, Spirit, small s, the spirit that was possessing this girl, a demon. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw their that their hope, let me put this up there. But when the, her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had bought them or brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Interesting side note, some commentators are talking about the fact that because this is a Roman city, chances 
could be they heard about what happened with Peter. Right? That it was under Roman guard that Peter was imprisoned in Jerusalem, and yet God worked supernaturally to release him. Because what's interesting here is that these magistrates go to great care. And you can just hear it in between the lines saying, it's not going to happen on my watch. Right? Come back next week and see what happens on their watch. Ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received the order, he put them in the inner prison, the most inner section, and fastened their feet in the stocks. Things are not going great for this team. They're not going great, but this is an incredible picture this morning of the reality of what they were dealing with, had been dealing with, will continue to deal with, and that's the spiritual realm. And for you and I this morning, this is something we need to look at. Is this just for that time? Was this only going on during Paul and the time of the apostles? Or is this a very real essence of what happens all around us even now? Let me tell you what we're not going to talk about this morning that's in there. I think you'll be amazed as to what's in those verses. We're not going to talk about slavery. You know this, this thing's filled with verses about slavery? We're not going to talk about the problem of sex trafficking and child exploitation. Did you know that that's in this passage? Probably didn't see it, did you? We're not going to talk about anti-Semitism and ethnic uh, uh, propagation. You see that in there? I could have preached that from this passage. We're not going to talk about money, politics, or religion. Do you see that in there? Because it's definitely in there. And I could have preached that angle this morning. We're not going to talk about the incarceration of immigrants. Ooh, that's because I'm really scared to have that conversation from the front with anybody. I'm never going to do that. No, you, if you know me, I have no problem. But isn't it fascinating that our heroes are the ones that are incarcerated? Hmm. This is a fascinating thing to look at. And I could preach on that, couldn't I? How many of you feel that Paul and Silas were unjustly incarcerated because they were Jews from a former place? They're interfering with this city's, this Roman, this Greek Roman city's lifestyle. That's in there. But we're not preaching that today. You're like, what, what are we preaching? Uh, there's a whole section in here on leadership. Right? Basking in glory, but beaten in effigy. We're not preaching that th today. So now that I have thoroughly confused you, let's get into what we are going to preach about. Today we talk about Satan. Today we talk about Satan. Well, let's look at what we just uncovered. Number one, they come across a girl. They're going back down to the river. They're going back to this place of prayer where they've seen the Lord work with a group of individuals, right? And so all of a sudden what happens is a young slave girl starts following them and starts proclaiming what? These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. It's very important you remember those words. This girl is possessed. How, would, how do we know that? <laughs> well, because it says specifically, 
Paul was getting irritated, knew that there was a spirit within her, and commanded by the name of Jesus Christ that the spirit come out and leave. She is possessed. Roman culture, Greek culture, uh, there would be individuals that would be fortune tellers, oracles, soothsayers. No Roman general went to war without first consulting an oracle. Someone who had an ability like this girl was worth their weight in gold. You see where we get into exploitation? She was being used. She was being used. And she must have had some kind of effectiveness because her owners were making a handsome nickel or shekel, whatever it was at that time. The girl was possessed. Well, the question today is, well, if she's possessed, that's, there's a reality there. That Satan or a demon can possess an individual. What does that look like? What does that mean? We'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk a little bit about possession versus oppression. But we see it. Interestingly enough, when it says this spirit, there is a, uh, the Greek breaks down to this understanding of, and, and it's not necessary to put it in the English, but a python spirit. And this spirit was one that was uh, often uh, mitigated by Apollo. And so Romans would pray to Apollo to mitigate the needs of this python spirit. And so, interestingly enough, what I'm sharing with you is that the Roman world even believed in demons. The Roman world even believed in demons. I think that's not too far off from our own world. While, while we want to make fun, while we want to spoof on this, while we want to discount anyone's credibility that holds to this, Hollywood makes millions and millions and millions of dollars in investments into movies knowing people will come. It's all about demons, the occult, possession, oppression. And they will continue. We also know that this evil spirit is cunning. It seems to align itself with Paul's team and work. And this is really one of the things we want to look at today. So I already emphasized what this spirit says, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Is this a demon or is it a preacher? This, is, this should rattle us a little. Complete this sentence for those of you that have been studying the Word of God for quite a while. Satan is the father of, and yet he speaks truth. And yet he speaks truth. What is going on? Hang on. Hold the phone. Satan's strategy is to actually preach truth. What is going on? This demon is asking everybody, proclaiming to everybody, pay attention to these guys. Pay attention, they're speaking truth. They're giving you the way to salvation. You couldn't buy that kind of marketing. Right? Here's this person, this girl, who is seen in the community as a fortune teller. She carries gravitas. And she's walking around, according to this spirit's influence, saying, these guys serve, did you catch? The Most High God. This is an Old Testament title for Jehovah. Who does the demon recognize as all-powerful? 
Even the demons understand who's in charge, folks. Bank that. That's doctrine. That's theology right there. You need to bank that. Next, that in and of itself is amazing, but next what happens is, and they're preaching the way of salvation. Are you kidding me? First of all, we couldn't get into the city. I want you to think about a mission strategy. We can't get in the city. It's illegal for us to do that. So we're going to go out of the city. We're going to go down to the river and we see that the Lord blesses that and opens the heart of this gal, Lydia, who may or may not have made Carrie's sweater. Or Elijah's sweat top. But where do we go from now? Well, the Spirit's not letting us lead. We, we, need, to, we need to stay here. God's still doing work. And all of a sudden, He's going to use the enemy to promote us? You know, when we get into the spiritual stuff, it gets a little wonky, folks. It's a little hard to figure out what do we learn in this situation, in this scenario, by Paul's action. Because there might be many preachers today unknowingly will use whatever effort, whatever opportunity to get people to pay attention. I'm not going to be ambiguous about it. Without a doubt, they are using those efforts to fill their seats, to fund their programs, to have success. Many preachers are making those efforts. I was overseas on a missions trip one time, and there was an individual that had, should have known that this was Demonology 101 right to begin with. He had uh, one of those dummies, right? That was his ministry. If, if we can't snip out that that's satanic in the first place, you know... <laughs> make those eyes and, and the thing turns and that's scary and it talks by itself that's amazing no <laughs> he was really bad really really bad and on, on this particular day i'd actually gotten ill from something i ate go figure and i had to stay back i got a call from the team leader saying i need you to jump on the mta which is the subway i need your help now um, this gentleman is breaking all protocols at this church and he was forcing them to take an offering for him and him alone. And then he counted the offering, and when it wasn't enough, he forced these ladies to make another offering happen. And I had to confront this man, this preacher, and his dummy, <laughs> and say, God has nothing to do with this, and you're manipulating people, and you will stop. There are those that would seek for their own glory or for the glory of Satan to come as those messengers of God when in fact they are covertly seeking to get in and to really destroy. Do you see that that's... And Paul sniffs it out. Paul says, I'm not going to be part of that. And so he calls it out. Even if something seems like it's beneficial, it may not be godly. And if it's not godly, we should have nothing to do with it. Amen? Amen. That wasn't half bad. We see the acknowledgement of the Most High God in the way of salvation by this demon. That should tell you something about the spiritual word or, or world. The after effect can be crushing. Paul and Silas and his team are in spiritual battle. In the first missionary journey, Paul has already been stoned 
uh, so badly, and, and I'll clarify because I, I see some new faces in the room, that's picking up rocks and hitting someone with it for the effect of causing life to seep from their body. It's not the modern-day vernacular, all right? The group in Lystra chases him and kills him, tries to kill him, and he's taken for dead. Folks, you can have someone come up and, and, and prophesy under the influence of a demon, and it has a certain influence. You can also have Satan's influence through mankind reach out, pick up a rock, and throw it at you. Which one's worse? I don't know that either one's worse than the other. My point is, is that Satan attacks with covert effort and overt effort. What we've seen prior in this effort and this ministry of the word going out to people to change lives, to transform lives, to bring them into the beauty and, and loving relationship of God, to, to pull them out of darkness, is that there is a, a covert effort by the enemy to shut them down. By the way, it, it happens there. It happens when they get back to Antioch because the Pharisees rise up and say, stop doing what you're doing. Another effort by the enemy. It also happens with the rift between Paul and Silas to break the team apart. But what happens? God uses that and multiplies it out. Do you see the covert work of the enemy to shut down the gospel? You're going to hear a passage coming up shortly where it talks about the fact that Satan will blind our eyes. It's in, it's in uh, I believe, 2 Corinthians. Satan will blind our eyes towards hearing the gospel until God says, at such time, I will open your eyes. If you have recently accepted the Lord, and there are, are some of you in this room right now, the crazy idea of that is going from one cross to the other, and some of you I've had that conversation with, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. And Paul says this to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 2, that at one moment what seems foolish, right? That Satan, what he'll say in the second letter, Satan is blinding us. It seems like foolishness. The next moment something happens, God opens your eyes, and Paul literally says it's like lifting a veil from your eyes so you see clearly now. And now there's no way you can resist it. Because it's taken root and because Satan has not taken it away. But you remember the story of the soils, right? Where Jesus talks about the story of the soils. You would think of the parable of the seed, right? Is what you often think of. Jesus actually says that it starts to take root. The gospel starts to take root. The word starts to take root. And what happens? Satan comes along and snatches it out. He's always at work. And so what happens now is you have overt effort by the enemy. Or is it overt? Of course it is, because this demon's following Paul and his guys all day long, yelling and yelling. And what's it? It actually translates, Paul is so irritated. <laughs> he just finally turns around. Would you shut up? Right? Like, wait, you can't say shut up in church. Well, no, Paul said it. I didn't. I'm just quoting Paul, okay? And by the way, come out! That is not how Paul did it. Gosh. The things we do. The things I do. We look at this story and there's covert and overt effort by the enemy. What do we do with it? 
So this is, this is where we're going to leave this story and we're going to dive into understanding how this works. Permission granted. We've, we've garnered what we can. We see what's happening. We see the result. By the way, the result is what? The result is they cast out the demon and those who are making bank on this girl that are exploiting her just lost their what? Their gravy train. Right, that's, that's a Greek for uh, money. Lost their gravy train. Isn't it interesting? Every time you lose financially, somehow it affects you spiritually. And so these individuals now, he shut down the demon, but Satan's still at work. And so he, through these individuals, motivates them to take them to the magistrates. And to a certain degree, they're right. To a certain degree, they're not right. But what they do is they, they bring forth such charges that they get beaten with rods. By the way, the magistrates would carry around these rods. They're, they're judges, okay? And they would carry around rods that kind of look like jazz sticks, thunder sticks, Carl. And, and it's multiple rods bound together. And that's how they would inflict the punishment. And so the magistrate actually had the rods, and right there they pull the rods off their side, and they have the individual execute the consequence and beat them and then not only are we going to do that, we're going to throw you in prison. And think for yourself, has Satan won? How many of us would have thought, yep, Satan's had his day. Satan has had, can I just encourage you, if you ever have those moments where you're thinking Satan's had his day, play the long game, please. Play the long game. Let's look and see real briefly. I'm going to go fast, folks. I'm going to run through this. So, I encourage you, you can go back onto our website under Download Truth, and you can review over this. Uh, you can email me for my notes. But let's look at this. So the origins of evil. The origins of evil, I believe that's a fill-in-the-blank for you. In Ezekiel 12.28, actually there's a bunch of verses in there, but 12.28 is the key one. What's interesting about this is that it's a prophecy by the Lord God to Ezekiel, and it's about necessarily the king of Tyre. But there are things about this prophecy that definitely speak in a, maybe a metaphoric way about Satan himself. It is not uh, uh, explicit, and so that's why you have some varying degrees of, of, of concern. Is this really speaking about Satan? Is it not? It's an interesting passage. Let's look at it real quickly. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. How many of you have had Satan described to you this way before he fell from heaven? This is where we get this from. He says, You were in Eden. I don't think that the king of Tyre was in Eden. That's where some people say, okay, this is a metaphor of using a typology of Satan to speak to where this king of Tyre is, is kind of blowing it. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle. Ladies, go to Jared and ask for carbuncle. Let me know what it looks like. And it says, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings on the day that you were created. They were prepared. As a matter of fact, all these precious stones, what God is saying is that 
You were created and you were so important and so magnificent that I had to make these adornments. I had to make these accoutrements to slap on you because you're worthy of them. That's how God is describing maybe Satan. You were anointed, you were an anointed guardian cherub. This is another reason why we think this is speaking about Satan. I don't think the king of Tyre is an anointed guardian cherub. There are two, three kinds of of angels we see in scripture one is an archangel maybe four angels uh an archangel like very good uh you have a so he is a cherub and the garden of eden was sealed off by cherubs with flaming swords all right these are your warrior style okay and that's that's who lucifer was you have other angels that are messengers and they're seraphs seraphim all right can you name a messenger angel? Gabriel, you are so smart, you have no need for a teacher. All right. And then uh, we're not going to get into guardian angels. I don't have time for any, any of that. You can, you can do some research later. Um, so archangel, cherubs, seraphs. It says, you are an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. It certainly seems that before the fall happens in Genesis 3, somehow sin entered into Lucifer's heart. Somehow he went from blameless to unrighteous. That's verse 15. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings. You get the gist. Here's the origin. This is as far back as we can go. And even with this, it's not super descriptive. Let's keep looking. Uh, Genesis 3, this is the second point, the outworking of evil. But Genesis 3, I'll go back to what we were looking at. Genesis 3 is the fall, and Satan shows up in the garden. Uh, Adam and Eve are in this great copacetic relationship with whom? With God. And Satan, once again, is speaking about God in true ways. And then he deceives. I'm not sure that Adam and Eve would have even listened had he not first spoken some truth. He seemed a reasonable serpent at first. Covert, overt. Another way that we can see the origins of evil is in our own personal time. We see how he works himself out, and, and this is where we're going. Matthew 3, the temptation of Christ. And we'll get into it in a minute. But the outworking of evil, Matthew 4, sorry, Matthew 4, 1 through 11, the church has a history, good and bad in this area. When Satan does an outworking of his plan, his agenda, the challenge for us is like Paul, when someone's screaming at us what seems to be truth, are we understanding where this is actually coming from? Do we have a good enough connection with God that we can recognize when this is something that's antithetical to God? 
opposing God, even though it's masquerading as truth? Paul did. Paul knew what was happening. Sometimes the church gets very cloudy on this subject, and I'm going to speak to that in just a minute real quickly. But let's look. And, and the, the understanding is reactive denial and obscurity results in spiritual attack. I think this is one of the things that creates the greatest outworking for evil within the church. Is that we are in denial that we live in a world that is spiritually affected. Good and bad. It's easy for us to say and embrace the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf with groanings when we don't know what to say. That sounds great. I like that part. And when I'm suffering and, and I'm going through difficult challenges and problems and Jesus in John 14 said, I'm sending you to a, a, a counselor, one greater than I. Oh, that's great. I'm good. You know those moments those, where I'm stressed and I've got lots of anxiety and, and I, I really... And, and by the way, your struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against demons and Satan. And it's ongoing. What? Wait, that's, you know, okay, that's a little weird. You know, a little hinky. This is where we get a little, this is the first problem. The other problem is when the church overreacts. Your washing machine breaks, and I get a call. Could you please come exercise the demon that's involved in my washing machine? First of all, don't buy... No, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> Matthew 4, 1 through 11. This is the temptation of Jesus. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of... What? You see, there's that covert. That's a legitimate question. Can't you just, you know, it, isn't, it, isn't it fair to say? No, it's not fair to say because Satan knows exactly who Jesus is. But he wants to start with doubt right away. You see, this is how he got Adam and Eve to compromise their relationship with the Lord. So he's going big guns. He's going mano a mano with Jesus. This is his last chance before the redemptive work for all mankind is accomplished. And Jesus in his humanity is weak. So, let me hit him where his mind probably is. Hey, you know, if you're the son of God, you know, you could, you could do these things and you could, I know you're hungry. By the way, this is exactly where Satan attacks me all the time. <laughs> and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. This is four hours for me. And the tempter came and said to him, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Here's the outworking. Here's the outworking. It's very real. It's not just real for us. It was real for Christ. The oppression of evil. So we talked about possession. We see obvious possession. I'm just going to answer this quickly. I do not believe, I do not believe, according to, to a, a passage in 2 Corinthians 9, I do not believe that a believer in Jesus Christ, a true believer in Jesus Christ, can be possessed 
by a demon or by Satan. They can be oppressed. What is the difference? You can suffer at the hands of the enemy. Why do I say that? Well, wouldn't it be a privilege to be counted as one like Paul? If, if anybody knew the Lord, Paul knew the Lord. And they're now in prison after receiving a beating. Why? Because he engaged the enemy, and properly so, and called him out. You know, when the enemy gets punched in the face, he wants to punch back really hard. Really hard. But like I said, come back next week and see what Paul and Silas' attitude is about what Satan did to them. And you'll learn about how to handle those issues. But the oppression of evil is very, very real. Mark 8.33 will tell us that in a minute. But here Satan asks to sift Peter. Remember this part? That Peter is talking about his proclamation for Christ and everything is great. And, and Jesus is about to warn Peter, you're going to deny me three times, Peter. I get your love. I get your impulsiveness. I get your dedication. But because of who you're going to be, Satan has marked you. And he's asked that he might sift you. He might oppress you. He might test you. Bring great trial on you. And just part of that was what we saw revealed in the courts of Annas that night where he denied Christ three times. But this is a very real thing. The reality is Jesus himself says Satan has asked permission to put you under pressure oppression satan blinds people from the gospel i told you i was going to share that with you second corinthians 4 4 turn there with me if you can this is very very important that you see this second corinthians 4 4 i'm going to back it up to three and even if our gospel is veiled it is veiled only to those who are perishing in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What's the oppression? We'll just start with the whole concept of understanding the beauty and life-changing, transformational work of Jesus on the cross and his death and resurrection. And how at one moment... That just means nothing. It's just mythology to us. But on the next moment, you're all gathered here for some reason this morning. It's not because of my sweater. You're here for a reason because to you this is real. Many of you have been redeemed. You understand this, that that gospel message has not been pulled from you, but the Holy Spirit revealed it to you just at the right time and shuts Satan's efforts and oppression down. The Lord will protect His people. You need to be very aware of this because we start talking in these terms, people get a little freaky. Right? Don't go home and watch The Exorcist. Don't do any of that. Just understand this is real. But what does the Lord say? 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says the Lord will protect His people. Wait, wait a minute, Pastor. Hang on now. Where are Paul and Silas? Uh, where was this verse when they were being beaten by the magistrates? Where was this verse when the rock came and, and hit Paul to the point of almost dying? 
How, how, how does this work? Uh, the same guy that all that happened to wrote those exact words and wrote them after those events had happened. It doesn't mean that God's going to protect us so that we have a beautiful, cush, easygoing life. By the way, brothers and sisters, that is not this world for us. We've got that waiting for us. This is a place where God has given you every opportunity to thrive for His glory, to live in dependency and relationship with Him, to see the magnificence of His work, even though you're, you're not necessarily in explicit connection with Him. It's a mystery, Paul says. It's done by faith. And yet, what is our struggle? Let me get to the closing comment today. Here's the passage about uh, get behind me, Satan. You know, what a lot of people don't know is Peter left the, the disciples for a while after this. This is just extra for you guys. So what happens is they're on their way to Jerusalem. They're getting ready for the Passion Week. Could have been about this time in the Passion story, right? And they're heading up to Jerusalem that the Passion Week might happen. And what happens? <laughs> Jesus starts revealing he's going to die. And Peter, being Peter, says, oh no, 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 that'll never, I'll, I'll, what, what's he say? Peter took him aside. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke Jesus. And so Jesus said, oh Peter, I really appreciate your concern. I really feel your love for me. It's phenomenal. You're a great friend. You know, none of those other guys had the guts to stand up and tell me the truth, Peter. Only a true friend would do what you just did. I really value who you are. Now, you're wrong, but I really value who you are. Did you see that in there? No, he said, get behind me, Peter. Nope, nope. He said, get behind me, Satan. Oh, that's harsh. <laughs> I'm going to need some time. I, I did not picture you loving Jesus calling me Satan. I'm, I'm that cut deep. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down to my cousin Andrew's place on the, on the Sea of Galilee, you know, have some shawarma, and really think through this one, Jesus. By the way, there's a lot of pastors that have to do what I just did. Satan wants us not to call out where Satan is involved so our people can continue to be oppressed. Did you see what Jesus was doing here? He cared enough about his boy, Peter, to say, stop, you don't even know what you're doing. What you're saying is not anything to do with God. It has everything to do with Satan trying to stop this from happening. My encouragement to you, don't go around calling people Satan today. They're not going to understand, and you probably aren't going to understand how to utilize what Jesus said. But I want you to see, the world loves to talk about Jesus in these terms of being loving and kind, and sometimes he just cut right to it when it was necessary. What do we need to cut to? Well, we've got to hurry up because we have a baby dedication. Pastor Jeremy, the babies are waiting. I don't know why I'm talking like that. But the obstruction of evil is in Ephesians 6. Our struggle is what? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Anybody have a struggle this week? 
Anybody have a struggle with a person? Sometimes it's just a person being a person. Sometimes it's you. By the way, I don't have time to do it, but go to the first few verses in Ephesians 2 and you see the process of who owns what in sinful behavior. Sometimes it's me personally. I'm choosing to sin. Sometimes it's just because of sin in general, the world that we live in and temptation in general, right? Sometimes it is most definitely the tempter seeking to tempt us. But this is, I alluded to this earlier, this is where the church has blown it. You've got a person suffering from a real live situation of schizophrenic behavior, and the church didn't know about this issue in science, and so what do they do? They keep trying to cast out the demon and cast out the demon, and they're physically hurting this individual, sometimes to the point of death. The church owns some nasty, nasty history on this. So I just, I want to be real honest with you. So what do we do with possession? Possession is real. We've just seen it. It still is happening to this day. But even whether or not you fully agree and concur with Catholic theology, even those in that sense of exorcism and those working in the offices of exorcism, they have a doctor go with them, they have a psychologist go with them, and evaluate the person way before they ever actually perform an exorcism. Things are changing, which is good. But we're talking about oppression and the obstruction of evil. Ephesians 6, Paul, the one who suffered all of this. By the way, we're going to get to Ephesus shortly after Philippi. And he gives this instruction. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. If there was one person who could speak to this, it was Paul. One who had faced it covertly and overtly. One who understood possession and oppression. And Paul says it's very real. And much of our struggle is not against just flesh and blood. It's that there are things going on behind the scenes that you're not seeing, that you're not aware of, that you're not paying attention to, that are causing much of this. Some of it is just general sin. Some of it is by the enemy. What do we do? First, believe that Satan and spiritual warfare is real. That may be a challenge for some of us today. We need to believe that this is real. Secondly, if you get to that point, you need to put things in order. James chapter 4 is very specific. I don't have time to go there, but it's very specific. And one of the key things that James says is resist the devil and then draw near to God. Brothers and sisters, we get frustrated. We say, why do I not feel close to God? Why is my life seemingly a train wreck? Why? There's no drama. It's like there's nothing. I'm flatlined in life, and I don't get it. This is not what the promises of God say. Part of the challenge is we have not resisted the devil. We have actually invited him in to dine with us in very unobtrusive ways. Things boil down to two things in God's eyes. Either it's righteousness and it's of God or it's not righteous. It's unrighteous and it's of the enemy. It's a pluralistic understanding of, of how all this is working. 
And Paul is saying in Ephesians 6, there are things that you can do to stay focused so that you can resist the devil. What's he say? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Number one, you got to surround yourself with truth. God's truth, not my truth, not, not your truth, but God's truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, be ones who seek righteousness, who want righteousness, who desire righteousness. That means godly living. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. You've got to exercise your faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation, all the rights, all the protection, all the understanding that you are a child, an adopted child of God, and therefore the enemy has no bearing upon or right to your life is probably the better way to say it. He says, praying at all times, I'm sorry, I, I almost skipped something very important. Um, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. How do we invite the devil to dine? We're never in this. We're never praying. We're never actively using our faith. You want to be free from the effects of oppression by the enemy. Practice Ephesians 6. Practice Ephesians 6. In closing, that, that's that. There's this promise that John gives us. He says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? Amen. Let me just share with you how many of you focused on my stupid stain the first few minutes of this sermon. Okay, I got two guys. No girls? Are you kidding me? At least two guys. Uh, I was looking for some extravagant illustration. This is what I went with. I wasn't going to wear the sweater, and then I thought, oh, no, this fits perfectly. You see, if Satan can distract you with something, <clears throat> the door, if Satan can distract you with something, it keeps you from doing what you're supposed to be doing. That's probably the first line of where we need to start today. What am I distracted with that is not righteous, that is not God, and how do I get it out of my life? I'm going to take this sweater and I'm going to wash it, which fits very, very well with James 4, 7 and 8. All right, let me close in prayer and then we're going to call the worship band up. Father, this morning as we see this incredible story about Paul and the team interacting and then suddenly there is a demon that is proclaiming truth. The enemy is sly. The enemy seeks to devour us. The enemy presents itself as an object of light on occasions. Let us not be fooled, but let us be those who have a mindset fixed on you and truth and those that put on the whole armor of God that we might be prepared day by day by day. Thank you, Father. To you be the glory. Amen.